All right. What? Anything you want to tell? You should, you should tell me what you learned the past few weeks as I've been gone. So anything, anything spring to mind? I think the bit that I did was um, the divine life comes to earth in the person of Christ. That was that was sort of what we were, and then that that brings a whole. Now, he, uh, Pastor Ganig, he, I mean, he's on the gas here. Holy cow! He just, he, he I, I think I got about two lines out. So, so you stopped at chapter three, right? I thought he told me, okay, so 25-ish, does that sound then more right? Really? So he could what? Oh, see, I just, I, see, he's young and full of energy, so it doesn't, so, so he sort of, did he leave at 25? All right. You did? Okay, good, good, okay, good. Did you have what you had? Did you have a different group here? <laughs> okay, good. You got through the Antichrist. Okay, good. So, um, good. So, all right. We'll just pick up these last. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And of course, he did probably at some point say to you, "This was a catechetical lecture disguised as a sermon." Did he say that to you at some point? So he sort of took you through this notion that there are. Um, this fathers and children kind of talk. He sort of took that through, and he talked about spiritual maturity and everybody grows up. Did he do all of that? I presume he did that. Does that make sense? Does that, does that ring a bell or no, not really? You, you did do that? He did mention that. Okay. All right, that's good then. Yes, light and darkness. Koinonia and the what? Yes, right. Right. Well, of course, it's dicey, isn't it? I mean, because you want to, um, so basically, I mean, you know, this is where you've been so far, I think. So we started with um, father, whoops, okay. Uh, that's the problem being in a, so we started with this reality of father, word, and spirit. And they live together in this divine life. And then, of course, Christ takes flesh. And Christ builds this thing called the church. So it's no accident that he talks about this as his body. And then um, basically what happens is it pushes back the dark, right? So he comes to Eden again. And this is, so outside is darkness. And inside is light. And one of the easiest ways, we did this the very first week, e one of the easiest ways to diagnose this, you can just tell, you can almost always tell that something's gone wrong. In fact, I'll just say it strongly enough. You can always tell that something's gone wrong um, when it's done in the darkness. And then I think, I think, I think I asked you to tend the difference between private and secret. Although I will say, if you come to Morning Eucharist, we did have this um, we did have this text this week from where Jesus. Well, it's always a Lenten text where he comes and says, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. However, I want to, and they translate that as secret. I'm going to use secret as a negative word. Um, this would be so the difference between what's in private and what's in secret. There are some things that are certainly private, um, private absolution, private moments between a husband and wife private moments between a, between a parent and a child, um, private moments, with those kinds of things. Um, remember, I think I gave you this in a sermon five years ago. It's really important to see, 
um, if this was brought into the light, so if you put light on this, private things would flourish. So one of the things, one of the very few things the pastor agrees to, oh no, that's not quite right. Um, one of the very few things that's private in a pastor's life is confession. So, but here's the thing. That's, if anybody, if any one of you came to confession, or if I went to confession, so if I told you, and I mean this accurately, not, because sometimes people come to confession and they, I hear about it later and it has nothing to do with what actually happened, but it is apparently what they heard or how they deflected it or bended, it doesn't matter. But if there was an objective view of what happened in, in a private absolution, what would happen is that would then flourish. You'd all say, um, yeah, that's a sin, and gosh, it's great that that got forgiven, and isn't it good that people are willing to go out and try to make amends, try to get it right? In secret, um, things that are done in secret, if light shines on them, it would decay. So in this, cat in this category are things like private absolution, the private relationship of a husband and a wife, the private relationship of a best friend, um, the private relationship of you and your doctor, you and your child. There are private relationships um, that you have. That, but if, ever, if anybody looked at it, they would say, if everybody could see it, it would flourish. Opposite of that is, is decay. This is normally uh, where we put lying, for example, or manipulating, or not putting the best construction on things, or not giving people the benefit of the doubt, or whatever. Just think about that. If light shined on secret things, they would decay. And then you re remember that Jesus says to his disciples, everything will be brought into the light at the last day. Right? Everything is going to come into the light. And then we, in 1 Corinthians, you know, it gives you kind of the next thing. You have to put the pieces together. And when the light shines on things, do you remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 3? What happens when the light shines on it? It either happens at your death or at the last day, whichever comes first. What happens to your stuff? Remember? The bad things, what happens to the bad things in your life? They explode. They burn up. And the good things in your life, what? You bring them to heaven with you. And people will say, Barb, that is fascinating. I never knew that was about you. I'm really glad that's here. Your good works will make heaven a richer place. So you get your stuff comes with you. Kind of the worst thing to have happen is to go to heaven completely naked with nothing. And that's where Jesus says sometimes... He says, you know, if you abolish anything from the law, he said, you'll be lowest in the kingdom of heaven, which means you're, you'll be saved, but your whole life where you could have done some work, all that will be lost. You know, that's sort of the, and this is kind of where, and now it gets very dicey for me, where it talks about levels of heaven, or I would translate it to whether or not you sit at John the baptizer's table, whom you remember was said to be, what? The greatest man ever born, Right? Highest in the kingdom of heaven is John the baptizer. So it's like the wedding. He's at table number one. And then, you know, if you're at table 97,235, you'll say, well, I wish I'd have done better, you know. Did you see how that all works? This is all goes private and secret. So you should think, sometimes people make the mistake of saying, well, you know, uh, I get to know everything about you. Actually, no, you don't get to know everything about me. There are some things you get to know about me, but there are some things that are private. It's not that I couldn't tell you, and it's not that if I didn't tell you that, it would be it would be fine. And actually, of course, you have to train kids into this now because, uh, you know, I mean, between Facebook and cameras on a cell phone, your life is public, you know. I mean, I just had a talk last week with a kid who I tried to explain to him 
Facebook is your bedroom, not your front lawn, right? You know, I've, I mean, you've had this, if you have kids, you have this constant discussion about, you know, <laughs> your lives are very public. Anything you do, somebody's going to take a picture of it. It's very difficult for kids because there's no place to. Flourish. Flourish. It's like when you used to go to prom, Betty, like that, you know. It's, it's like, uh, yes, right. Well, you know, I should write. You, you, what happens is when you're close to it, you always think you're writing so big. And then when actually when you step away, you're like, but when you're, it's funny because when you're writing on a board, you feel like you're yelling at people if you write that big, but you're really not. It's an illusion. I have to learn some new stuff. So anyway, that's what we, so anyway, the whole point of the body of Christ is to, is to push back the darkness and then what you're trying to do is reclaim Eden. You're trying to make Eden a bigger place, right? So you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to get you're trying to get Eden back. I mean, Jesus is trying to he's trying to bring light to the world. Let there be light. The very first thing that happens, that'll be all in the sermon Sunday. But it's light and order. That's what that's what the Lord is looking for. Okay, does that all make sense? You did all that, right? So that's your paradigm going forward. You know, if things are in the darkness. Um, your first thing, and this is always Psalm 1, you know, don't pay attention to it. You know that whole Psalm 1 works. Psalm 1 is just your life, which is, so here's an evil thing, you know. What does Psalm 1 say? It says, if you stop, what happens then? First you stop and you notice it. Then what happens when you start to notice it? What happens? Because sin is very enticing. What does it do to you? It sucks you in. So then you sit down, right? Remember the Sut talks about it? And then what happens? Then you start to talk about it and engage it, and then what? You're lost. Psalm 1, it's the very first psalm in Scripture. So it says, you know, he who walks in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, right? This is what it talks about. You're just, so, so there's a couple of things you can do if you see an evil thing. Your kind of most primitive response or your most childish response is to run away from it, right? This is why pain is a good thing. Pain is a, pain is a warning to you to say... Run the other way. It's the most primitive response. The problem with us is evil things don't always look painful, right? Yes. Yes, right. Exactly. So curiosity, the lust for power, sometimes taste, um, things are, you know, things that are enticing. So this is all just Psalm 1 talk. This is how a Christian so the first thing a Christian does is keeps moving. The second thing, and this is kind of at the kind of the next level of maturity, you actually need to rebuke evil. Darkness, and you need to do that because if you don't do that, it means you hate somebody. So if I know if Betty's doing a horrible thing, it's terribly important for me to say to Betty, don't do that horrible thing, it'll destroy you. What's really interesting is you often have people who, um, if I say to Betty, forget the pastor thing, if we're just pals, and I say to Betty, you really need to stop doing that, it's going to destroy you. She has one of two reactions. What are, what are two reactions? One is... Thank you very much is one, which we'd say, Betty, that's really not good for you. Please don't do that, which means I love you. And if you touch that, if you have a friend who drinks too much, for example, or if you have a friend who, and you don't tell them, you hate them, you don't love them, right? It's just that if you have a friend who, who um, you know, this used to be more for men, although for women, but men especially, men who are engaged in pornography, if you don't tell them, it means you hate them, it means you don't love them, Right? Or if you have a man who abuses his wife, if you don't tell him, it means you don't like him. It means you, it means you're, you, won't, you don't take the time to spare him. So one, the proper response, and this is what you're looking for. This is a very mature 
congregation or body of Christ, if somebody shines the light on you, now, I take it in the best way. It needs to be done gently, kindly, but compassionately. But somebody who will say to you, wow, you really have this wrong, or if you keep touching that, that's going to just explode in your hands. Your proper response to that is, thank you very much. Oftentimes, the other response, Maddie, is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know what happens then? You have this weird, you have this weird thing where um, what happens is, is the relationship gets inverted. So I know that Maddie's doing something that's bad for her. I say, Maddie, you've got to really just stop doing that. Um, you just gotta, you just got to stop doing that. And then if the response isn't thank you, the response is, Right, exactly. And so the relationship completely flips. And so now the person who is brave enough to say that'll hurt you suddenly becomes the bad guy. It's the, it's the hardest thing in being a Christian. And, and what it does is when we, when we act that way, it breaks community because we no longer will do that for each other. And then it can, get, you know, it can take all iterations of people being kind of prissy or angry or, you know, You've seen this, though, right? You can understand this. If you've had relatives, I mean, if you've had a mother and a father, if you've had, oh, I don't know, relatives, if you've had, if you've had a marriage or a funeral in your family, if you've had, I mean, if you've seen any of this, this happens in every situation, right? So kind of who's the bad guy, right? So this can either be the kindest thing. Maddie, don't do that. That's going to that's gonna kill you, right? Don't touch that. That's going to ruin your soul. Um, you can either say, thank you very much, and that keeps the order proper, or you can say, forget it. The important thing is, is that it's always done objectively by Scripture and not by how I feel about things. So you having your feelings hurt, when I say to you, Maddie, don't drink so much, is not, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, you having your feelings hurt, that doesn't mean I've done something wrong. Because you feel bad doesn't mean I've done something wrong. In fact, I may have done the right thing. In fact, if you've been around people who have had great trauma and you say to them, don't do that, they often lash out at you. If you don't believe me, watch TV. I mean, watch any reality show, you know. Right. 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 So let's just let's just press this because it is actually what happens. So so let's say let's say you and me. Let's I'll be so you come to me, and I'm out here, right? So here's me, and uh, although that's kind of a weird me. Um, and here's you, Maddie. You're in here. Nice dress, Maddie. Okay? So basically, what you're, what you're basically trying to do is you're trying to reach out and you're trying to pull me back in. Or you're trying to extend the border out here. You're trying to push back this, this great prayer where we pray in one of the litanies. We pray for those who push back the darkness. It's a beautiful prayer. We pray for those. So let's say you're trying to rescue me. You, you, you p- try to push back the darkness. And I scream and yell about how Maddie is bad, 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 okay? Now here's where the maturity of a community comes in. The community has to decide objectively what's light and what's darkness, right? Now it starts to get hard because... In order to, to try to write bigger, in order to decide objectively what's right and what's wrong, what do you have? What do you need for that? You need information. Good. Now, um, there's two kinds of information at least that you need. I can think of two kinds of inf- information you need. Okay, so that's good. We're working through those old markers. That's good. 
Uh, there's at least two kinds of information you need, Maddie. What kind? I'll help you. It's hard when you just sort of have to guess. One is you need to know scripture. And the two is you need to know, you need the detail. Oh, yeah, facts is better. I was going to say details. Actually, you don't need to know details. You need to know facts. Good. And then you have to see whether these two things match up. Now do you see why it's so important to come to church every Sunday and come to Bible study and come today? Do you see why it's so important to study your catechism and you get this? Because most people don't judge by facts. How do they judge? Yeah, they judge by their heart. And if you know about your heart, what do you know about your heart? It's really not very good. Emotions aren't bad. It's just not the final call. The final call, are, by the way, our, our reason needs to be redeemed just like our emotions need to be redeemed. They both need to be redeemed. The question is, are we living in a redeemed way? And you can only do that if you know who Scripture is or basically you know who Christ is and then you're back where you started. Does that all make sense? Well, okay, so let's just, let's just pause and ask... Um, yeah, let's just pause and ask why. Okay, good. Right. Good. So how would you how would you fix? What's the cure? Okay, good. But I, exactly right. Now just kind of push that. Uh, the question then comes, who are you going to listen to? So the first thing is just to pause for a moment. And then you're going to listen. But you have to push on because there are a lot of competing voices in any organization, in any family, certainly in any church. So the question is who you're going to listen to. What's the text say? Who are you supposed to listen to? The text we're doing, First John. Christ first, and beyond that, sometimes people read a text and they can't. So that's exactly right, Christ first. And, but then also, just try to think about what's the, how's he talk? This is why I talk, and I'll just put in mothers too. Fathers and mothers in the faith. This is why we did the first thing. We, this is what we were doing when we did the, the desert mothers. So basically, so let me just break it down for you. The hardest thing for us to say is, I'm going to push away what I think and let somebody else guide me. It's very extraordinarily difficult especially in this area where everybody's accomplished in, in, every, in every aspect of life, or at least pretends they are. One of the hard things about Wheaton is the pretense that everybody does every, what, everything well. It's very difficult, the Wheaton veneer, you know. So um, because it's very hard for us to first say, I'm not good at everything. And the second thing it's hard for me to say is, I'm going to listen to you rather than me. So I, as I told you with my own confessor, I did everything he told me without question for the first 20 years I knew him, including move overseas two times, when it seemed to be against my better judgment. That's a very, but that's the Christian life. And we don't, we don't do this, and so we don't, see, because then um, <laughs> it's Christ, and this is somebody, the talk tells you what the scriptures say, and then they also tell you who you are. Right? This is why often in a church, you know, when, when you have things like, there's some, there's some value in, some limited value in things that, are, that you would know as spiritual gift inventory. There's some limited value in that, but not completely so because it's always self-evaluation. Sometimes people have to evaluate from you from the outside and say, just think at your jobs. If everybody only ever gave a self-evaluation, how would things work? I mean, every organization in the world has external evaluations, everybody who's ever run anything, you all have external evaluations, 
because we all know that we don't see ourselves, except in the church, where everybody, in Protestant churches now, say maybe more than other churches, because, of course, everybody's their own silo. And God forbid I could tell you anything about yourself or you could tell me anything, right? Because who am I to say anything to you? Unless we're a family or a community and there are fathers and their mothers and there's older and they're younger in the faith, right? Which is how scripture talks all the time. So why can't we talk that way? The reason you don't see it is because there are so many presuppositions built up against it that as soon as you start to implement it, you get rebellion. Because this is what's going to happen. This is going to be very hard for you to say to me, that might be darkness. What you're doing might be evil. Or you to me. It doesn't matter. I don't, it shouldn't always be that I'm saying to you. It would be very difficult. So if you would come to me, the, the, so just imagine this. You would say, that's, here's what normally happens, just in a church. First, you don't say it. You say it to everybody else but me, which means you hate me. Thank you very much, because you want to destroy me, because you're going to leave me in hell. If I'm really that big a sinner, you've left me in hell. If I really have a sin, if this is really my heart, and if you say it to everybody else but me, this is really important for you to understand. It means that you hate me. It doesn't mean that you love me. It means you hate me and want to destroy me. If this is really my heart, if I really am in darkness, if I really live out here, let's say Maddie never comes and gets me, it means that you hate me. That's the first thing. So to go to somebody else instead of coming to me is, is an act of hatred. Okay. Well, let's, let's, okay, but in order, because that's not what people normally do. Believe me, it would be great to freak out once in a while because somebody actually came. So, okay, so, you, then, so step, step one is we don't do it. Here's why you haven't seen it. Step one, we don't do it. Step two, when you do it, people completely freak out. Why do they completely freak out? Because they take away the question marks here. There's no humility, and people are really blind, especially about themselves. Right? All of us. That's what the text says for two chapters. It's been saying to you, children get a father. Right? Fathers grow up children. That's what the text has said for two, for, for two chapters, right? So you take away the question marks, you completely freak out. That's the second thing that happens. And who wants to be part of an organization where everybody is freaking out all the time? Right? So first, we don't do it. Second, when we do it, we freak out. Third, it really takes some juice to get people who can understand all of this. It really takes some juice to kind of, for instead of freaking out, I'm going to pause. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to look for Christ. I'm going to look in the scriptures. I'm going to seek some other opinions, right? And I'm going to come under the care of the community. So that's the reason you don't see it, because it's so blasted hard. It's especially hard for us because we grow up in a church. I'm not talking about the Lutheran church. I'm just talking about a church. We grow up in a time when we're all individuals, especially in America. If there's anything about you in America, it's that you're all individuals. You can all make it on your own. You're all the smartest person. It's a democracy. So I can decide what I want to do on my own. You can't tell me, as my, as my first professor in political science, whose great distinction was he finished second in the class to Henry Kissinger at Harvard. Ruined him. I mean, seriously, when I knew him, he was an old man, brilliant, but he never came to grips with the fact that he finished second to Henry Kissinger at Harvard. And the, the thing is, I always tell my kids, there's just one richest man in the world and one smartest man in the world. So let's face it, if you're not Carlos Slim or Einstein, you're free. I mean, what you, the burden is off. But this guy was completely wrecked, although he was brilliant. When he wasn't drinking, he was brilliant. And what he said was, um, you know, democracy means you can be a damn fool for no good reason at all. 
which is exactly what it is. You don't have to have any reason to exert your opinion in a democracy. You get a vote even if you have, are thoughtless. And we often carry that into the church, you see. So I'm a person, and you're not going to tell me what to do, because it, it's not built on the notion of a family, of father and children. And guess what? Right now, you're a child, and you have spiritual mothers. Okay? In 20 years, you'll be the spiritual mother. This is just like normal. In 20 years, you'll be the spiritual mother, and there'll be other children here for you, right? But you can't wait that long, and we're not that humble, and we can't pause, and we can't listen. And so what happens is the flippant thing is a jumble all the time, right? Because we don't pause, we don't listen, we're not humble, blah, blah, blah. Got it? That's the reason you don't see it. So the thing to do then is, I'm going to come right to you, Donna. The thing to do then is, is at least you know about this now, the, hard, the heavy lifting for all of you and for me, too, is to kind of put this into practice. This is very hard because we have to be vulnerable to each other. We have to be honest with each other. We have to, I have to trust that when you come to me, Rebecca, you're not trying to destroy me, that you're actually trying to help me. That's a huge presupposition because I don't know if you ever noticed this, but sometimes in the church people do try to destroy each other, right? I mean, it happens, so okay. So this is a very difficult thing, and this is partly why there's so much emphasis in the scripture on hanging in and not fleeing. Because if you flee, what happens? Then you just go do this someplace else. And you never kind of work down the food chain. Make sense? Oh, exactly, because that's the pattern. I'm going to come to you. Hi, I'm just going to go to Donna, and then I'm going to come to you. Okay. Yeah, you're exactly right. So what you have to have is, I mean, part of the reason we're doing this, you have to have a, you have to have a different pattern for living together as a church. right? But it's not that hard. It's not hard in concept. You can all figure this out, right? This is just like having a family. You kind of let older, smarter people kind of grow up younger, not as smart people, you know. And then, you know, at some point that happens. Donna, go ahead. What's interesting is that but you said you had a really good pastor. Did you listen to him? <laughs> yes, right? Good. Well, here's the thing. You, let's just try your family instead. You had a 12-year-old under your roof at one point. There is, you know, the old, the old Mark Twain thing, you know, when your kid turns 12 or 13, you put them in a barrel, and then when they're 18, you plug the barrel, seal the barrel, right? You know, I mean, it is the, uh, I mean, if you've had a 12 or 13-year-old in your house, then you know how to handle this, or at least you've been through it, because at 12 or 13-ish, for whatever inexplicable reason, you know, you go from being the smartest person in the world to the, yes, right, exactly. But if you hold on, I mean, it's like, you know, if you hold on, if you hold on at some point, what happens? You're smart again. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. It can happen at different times. This is, it's, so this is, so here's the thing. So the difference may be, you know, and we sort of know why that is. It's, there's all sorts of things like, you know, uh, well, uh, an adolescent, go ahead. Right. Right, but it needs to be. It is, but now let me just ask you that, though. Although I will say, yes, so a whole community watching kids is a fantastic thing. And if you, yes, right. Right? You have a huge responsibility if you're a grandparent. Now, here's the thing, though. You, here's where it gets complicated, which is across the congregation, people have very different parenting skills, right? And very different parenting standards. So... If you try to parent somebody else's kid in the congregation, actually, I'll just tell you, it's what, uh, this congregation is, very, is actually very good. It's, it's pretty good. People only parent my kids about once every three months. <laughs> but in some congregations, people parent as a pastor. 
people parent your kids all the time. Part of it is you're not in the pew with them. And part of it is they just feel licensed because you have a public life. So this can be very difficult on a pastor's family. I will say here, it really doesn't happen that much, and I'm very grateful for it. But to, to parent other people. So your thing presumes, I mean, this is hard enough to get done just in our own families. Like, it's hard enough for me to do this. And then it's hard enough just with our own friends. I mean, you're exactly right. We all need to look out for each other, and the scriptures talk that way. But, man, what a hard thing that is, right? Right? Right, good. We don't have that. Yeah, right. Yeah, stop telling me what to do. But the other, but the other thing is, is that here's the thing. Um, if I try to parent your kids, it really presumes an awful lot about me. One is that I actually know how to parent kids. And two would be that I actually can step into your circumstances empathetically and kind of gently and help. It takes a lot. I'm not saying you're wrong, but man, you're even a farther step than Rebecca was. I mean, we go all the way, we go all the way to there. I mean, just two adults being honest with each other. Now I'm gonna say, step aside, Donna. I'm gonna parent your kids for a second here. That is really I mean, it's not wrong, but it is it is a stretch, is it not? It is, although and the way to push past the permission, actually, have you ever been in have you been in have you been in families? You're probably just on the edge that this didn't happen anymore, but have you still if you go into Chicago sometimes where you still have Families where you have two, three, sometimes four generations all living together, they find a way to do that. Part of the way is, is real honestly, is the kids, what do the kids do? They make fun of their, like, great, great aunt who's just slightly wacky, which, by the way, is just, is actually kind of a healthy thing because it's the, it's the way kids can, uh, can still listen but defend themselves mildly in their own identity. So here's the thing, Donna. If you, I'll, when I parent your kids and they make fun of me, we'll make sure that everything works out. That's the point where we know we're healthy, right? Because if you can laugh at it, it shouldn't really, you know. But that's going some. I promised Holly just a long time ago, and then we'll come back around Maddie. And, go ahead. <laughs> um, do you believe in miracles, Holly? Holly? Do you believe in miracles? I mean, well, so, so this is a very practical thing. So here, yeah, but except for yourself. So, all right, so here's the deal. Um, we suffer, all these things we're suffering, we suffer because, you can see how, how everything I've said or everything we've kind of talked about can be put under this category. So the first thing I ever say to any intern we have here is, you don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble, okay? So part of our problem is as a church, we're, we, we, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about as church, we get into trouble so fast. I mean, we get into trouble. You know, we, we, I mean, all the bad things, we just get into trouble. And then we say, how do I get out of this? Of course, the first answer is, don't get into trouble. How do you not get into trouble? Oh, I don't know, you go to church? Well, I'm not even, uh, yeah, but I'm not even, but okay. But the thing is, so my aunt, if you're talking about your 20s, here's the thing. Everybody gets a free pass in their 20s. Yes, it does. So, um so here's the answer. I'll give you a general answer and then a specific answer. The general answer is you never give up hope and you try to find ways, very small steps, that restore things. Here's why. It's like when people come in after 20 years and they're like just at odds and they're going to divorce. And, you know, what I always say to them is, hey, it took you 20 years to get into this. It'll probably take you 20 years to get out. So I'll say the same thing for that. For any relationship, if it took you 10 years to d- blow it up, it'll take you 10 years to put it back together. So just first thing is be patient. 
The second thing is nothing good happens by force. And then after that, you have to kind of diagnose the relationship. So I'll just give you an example. People who have very bad relationships with their parents, for example, but still want to go home for Christmas, I'd, you just be me. What's the first bit of advice that you'd give them? Don't go. <laughs> okay, good. One is don't go. But let's say that But if you don't go, see, there's never this ch chance of restoration. So, oh, so go, but what? How about this? Drive your own car. So first it would be drive your own car. Why? So you can, yeah, you can control the circumstance. When you just, when you feel like your RPM's getting into the red, you say, oh, I forgot to bring diapers. We got to go. Look at the time. Holy cow. Got to go. So actually my first advice always to people is drive. Control your own circumstance. Second is you actually say, you said don't stay overnight. Or I actually say, or stay in a hotel. If you got to stay, stay in a hotel. Because it's going to cost you 100 bucks a night. That will be the best 100 bucks a night you ever spent. Right? What did you say? You said something too. Um, Do you remember? It was clever, and I was just yeah, pushing it down the. I was pushing it down the line. Okay, go. Okay, what is keep your mouth shut? So just pause there. Hold your next thing. Okay, good. Because so what I always say. Right. 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 And that always happens when? In what kind of family gatherings? Well, but even more, <laughs> weddings and funerals. Weddings and funerals. People always come in, and they always say, I've just had it, and here's what I'm going to say. And I'm like, whoa, 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 have a cup of decaf, and let's talk <laughs> this over. Because the thing is, if you say it at a wedding and a funeral, what's going to happen? I always remember it, and it always comes up at other improper times, like Christmas and Thanksgiving. Well, do you remember what you said at the It always comes up. So, like, just, exactly. You ruined my wedding. I can't believe you did that at the funeral. It always happens, okay? But do you see, so, so beyond that, Holly, I mean, what you have to do is you just, then it becomes individualized, and now we're back on the grid where you go to somebody, it's your mom, it's Ann, it, you pick somebody, come see Jan, how about Kathy, have you talked to Kathy about this? You go find somebody who, frankly, has lived through this before, can maybe tell you where they made a mistake, can kind of give you some advice, and can also kind of encourage you to be hopeful over time, but I also would, I would, I would also encourage you to go to somebody who actually understands this. Because the last thing, especially as a pastor's wife, that you need is somebody saying, well, Holly came to me, and do you know what? Like, if you go to Kathy, and then she leans into the table and tells everybody else, that's not helpful in 19,000 ways, right? Because that's broken a relationship, and, you know, you, know, you trusted that, and now all these other people, and you get it secondhand. Well, you, you get all this, right? So you just have to, but you, you should probably find somebody who can, you probably want to find somebody who's either young and extraordinarily perceptive or two has probably done it 14 times before. And that's, that's actually the way you get through. Now here's the thing. You can see how much trust this takes, you know, and how much kind of family. And I just, I will say, I mean, I said it before, but one of the things about family is, uh, you know what, you never, I mean, in I'll just say this, you never leave your wife and you never leave your family. I know people leave their wives, I know people leave their families, I know their circumstances. I'm just sort of putting that, the presupposition for marriage, we say it every time, right? I mean, people say it in their vows. I'm sticking with you, thick, thin, rich, poor, sick, right? We say that, and the divorce rate is 50%. I know that, but we go with the presupposition that you're never going to leave. 
in your family, we go with the presupposition. Even now, when a family blows up, we often say, what do we say? Gosh, isn't that horrible? Right? We still have, so that means we have the presupposition that a family. But a church? How do we talk about a church? Oh, it's optional. Yeah, if I don't like it here, I'll just go somewhere else. Do you see how that destroys all of this? If your presupposition is, if I don't get my way, I'm just going to move on. Right, and, and then what's always striking to me is when people go and, and, and they say, I went there and visited and they were so nice to me. What are the two things I say? If I'm really sassy, I say, yeah, when I go there, they're nice to me too. Oh, that's one thing. And the other thing is, is everybody is nice on the first date. Come on. And six months in what? You're just another guy because what? When you go on the first date, oh, everything's clean, and you don't have to do the dishes, and how would you like your meat cooked? And, and like, on your fourth year of marriage, I don't know, what are you saying? It's like, you used to pick up your socks, and where were you, you know, right? Because, you know, and then that's a whole other question about how we teach each other when we get in calm, but it is true. Is it not true? And then eventually, at some point, you kind of begin to love that about somebody again if you stick with it. It's the old C.S. Lewis thing about, you know, it's not, like, it's not like learning to fly a plane. It's about sticking in. Well, see, and part of the problem is that we don't have the stick-in-ness because we've lost the notion that we're family, body of Christ, right? So you just stick in. I mean, a lot of days I don't like you. I'll just be honest. And, you know, more days than that, you actually don't like me. I, yeah, I get it, okay. But I will go to the Eucharist with you, and then maybe it'll get better. Yes, my friend. It's all right. You have to be sorry. You, the brazen part, the only brazen. Well, the, the brazen part is only the what's next part. So here's something you learn because you have children. So I'll just ask you, how old are your kids now? Here comes the drum roll. Four and two. Holly, can you actually control your children? It even only works for a little while. At some point, the battery runs out. So here's the thing. You've got kids that are four and two. You've already lost control of them. I'm being honest with you. After about four and two, I mean, you you lose control of them. After about two, you lose control of your kids. You can't make a kid. Exactly. So they're two. So at 9 a.m. on Sunday, the first day of the week, you've lost control. So why would we think that we could control anybody, oh, I don't know, who's 20, 30, 40, or 80, who has a driver's license, an independent salary, and insurance somewhere else? I mean, what, so, so the, thing is, the thing is, you can't control anybody else. And particularly in the church, it's a volunteer organization, right? So, I mean, that's how people think about it. It's not. I say that that's what it is. That's why people can't figure it out, because it's a nonprofit volunteer organization if you look at it in a secular way, okay? So here's the thing. You can't control anybody beyond the age of about two years old. You think you can't, <laughs> you think you can control teenagers? God bless you. If people come in, they want me to, like, control their kids. I'm like... You can't control them. Why would I be? You know, why look at me? I got my own problems, okay? All you can do is try to love your kids into a point where they don't flee into the darkness. That's all you can do. And it doesn't always work, right? But you're there when they come back. and all, You know all this, okay? So you can't control them. You can't control the people. So all you can, the only person you can control in your whole life is you. The only heart you can control is your own heart. So you nourish your own heart. You try to live honestly. You get some good advice from other people. You go to the Eucharist. You go to church. You try to love people in all the facets that that means. And then the Lord controls the outcomes. So all you can do is control your own life. That's all you can do. 
That's all any of us can do. But but I would just let me just pause you there. So, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But okay. So there's a possibility of hurt. But let me just ask you. What kind of hurt will that be? Just give me some examples. Well, that's a weird way to talk about your hurt. Wisdom isn't cheap, and we pay for it with pain. Ah, but see, okay, here's the thing, though. When you were going so well there, although I will, you're being utterly honest, but how'd you get from here over to here? Yeah, because we started with beauty. And then we went to wisdom, and then suddenly it's broken? Wait, how does that fit together? Yeah, but, but here's the thing. Okay, good. Oh, good. Let's do selfish and stupid. That would be nice, too. We'll just put those up there. Okay. It is reality, so here's the deal. Okay, so this is, this is just the same question. It's the same, every question today has been the same question, which is, okay, so stupid, selfish, and rupture go out here in the darkness, and beauty and wisdom go out in the light. So be, you hurt here because you won't do this. You hurt here because you won't do this. Right, okay, so here's the thing. Right, so, well, okay, good. Oh, see, but I wrote this in green. You see, we have to, we have to brilliantly done. So now, uh, you, this is objective, right? So exactly right. So uh, this would be out here, then we'll put subjective out here. So this is where you get to decide what's stupid and selfish, right? And in here, what? Jesus gets to decide. So remember, often when we draw this up in the new members class, we say this is the church. It's bounded by the Ten Commandments, by the Creed, by the Our Father, by the, by the Lord's Supper, by absolution, by baptism. Right? This is how we draw it up for people. Do you see? So here's, okay, so what's happened today is you have to, every day, you have to wake up and see the world with discernment. Right? This is This is not hard, but it is taxing, right? And you can see how incredibly bad we are at it. Partly, you know, we're really bad at it because you have to have Lent and Jesus has to die on a cross. That's how bad we are at this. Because if we could do it ourselves, we would do it ourselves. And you know what the weird thing is? Is You know, we sort of have a reputation of being a church that demands too much of people. But you're all... A reputation for demanding too much of people. Demanding too much. To which our answer is always, we don't demand any more than Jesus demands. But so now just think about, so here you are on a Friday morning, and you're taking a couple hours out to think about this, and we sort of, our conclusion is, well, this is really hard, and we're actually not that good at it. And nobody else is even talking about this. So now what? I mean, we got, so what's the state of the church? I mean, we got a lot of work to do. You got a lot of work to do. You got to know what objective, first you got to understand that this is how the world looks, Right? So it's Trinity, Incarnation, Light, and Darkness. Then you've got to understand objectively what this looks like. Then you've got to not react to your emotional stuff, but you need to take it on an objective level. Then you need to presume all of this, right? That you actually have mothers and fathers and people who are smart and people you can go to. And then you've got to say, I'm going to actually stick in and do it. This is a remark. And, and now we're going to say, and by the way, we never learned this growing up. So now we're going to retrofit everybody at 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Well, this should work out great. But, so, but the thing is, is, here's the thing. Maybe by the time you know, you're 60, if you stick in, maybe you'll be in a church where everybody just goes, oh, yeah, that's how we act here. Because the thing is, if you actually acted this way, 
people would crawl over broken glass to be part of this. Right. That's why the big, that's why if you, but remember the last four years, what was taught in a Bible study? Christ, beauty, community, and mercy. That wasn't an accident. Those are the things that people are attracted to. That's the kind of community that we want, right? It all fits together. It just takes some time, you know? We'll see, and even learn to, so there's two very, there, that's a very good response. So there's two very easy things you can say to people. One you could say is, no, <laughs> although I have to pause for a moment. <laughs> Listen, now try to say a Christological thing, which would be, so here's one thing, one question, I'll say one thing about me and one thing about you. So you said it very well, you say, ouch, that really hurts me when you do that. It's really painful. And that's just being, you're talking about yourself and it's just very honest. And I'm presuming that's an objective thing as opposed to a subjective thing. The other thing is, I think it's just, occasionally it's important to see, say to people, why are, you, why are you so angry? I mean, that's just an observation about it. You can see, you know, people, it's just, it's, because what will happen is, is that's, and that's, you've got to do that in small doses, but if you just say, you know, why, people just who just get disordered, you know, they're just, their wild lives are chaotic. It's, a, it's an honest question. You know, why, are, why are you so angry? One of the observations about this particular congregation is how much passive-aggressive behavior there is. I don't know what accounts for that, but it's very, you know how passive-aggressive behavior works, right? You're really angry, but you won't say it. But you'll kind of put chum in the water trying to get people to bite. And then if they don't bite, you even get more angry. So that's more, it's darkness. It's just more and more darkness. So if you... You put darkness, and then it doesn't work, so you put in more darkness. It doesn't work, so you put in more darkness. And you, by putting in more darkness, you expect you're going to get light. But it never works, because you just keep putting, you, just, you increase the darkness. You shrivel, this, you shrivel this up. You just make it smaller and smaller and smaller. But suddenly there's no room for anybody to live, right? Ah! More darkness does not, does not bestow light, right? So one of the interesting things is, 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 is um, you know, this... A, there's just been a book written on how to, it's called How to Train Your Husband. Have you seen this book? <laughs> written by a dolphin trainer. This is true. So dolphin trainers, when you want them to, you know, they're very smart. Write it down. So basically, Faye, you'll appreciate this. You train a husband exactly the way you train a horse. It's exactly the same. Now you tell me if this is how you, you do with horses. This is, it was written by a dolphin trainer. Here's what you do with dolphins. They're unbelievably smart, right? And you can teach them to do flips and come and command and blah, blah, blah. But every once in a while, the dolphin will like come up with a mouthful of water and squirt the trainer in the face, right? Like a big squirt gun. The trainer, you know what the trainer does? What does a trainer do? How does a trainer correct a dolphin? Do you know? They act like it didn't happen. They just act like it didn't happen. So the dolphin comes up and squirts them, and the trainer just keeps writing on the pad, and then looks up and says, okay, now whatever they say to jump through the hoop again. And eventually what they've learned is the non-reaction. When you get non-reaction, you train people into different. So this woman has written this book, basically said, when your husband is such a, you just like move on. Give him his next task and hope that he does better, right? And then you reward the tasks that they do, of course. When they jump through the hoop, you reward them. And when they don't jump through the hoop, you just keep going. Like, yeah, you give them a little cold fish. And you just, you just, you know, you just keep going. That, in essence, is what happens with passive-aggressive behavior, right? People do things. They won't tell you what really is the problem. They tell you what the other problem. They do something to you, 
And if you react to it, what? You get drawn into a pattern of bad behavior. Well, I mean, that just describes the church to a T. Yes, and so that, and that is the, and, and knowing the difference is, exactly, exactly. Right, and so that would be, my, my entry into that would be to say, Faye, why are you, why are you so angry? So I'm not going to react to the fact that you punched me in the nose, but I am going to observe the fact that there's something going on with you, right? And that's not, you know, at some point the analogy fails because you can't actually talk to a dolphin that easily. But human beings, you can say. But so you can't, now the interesting thing in this case is one of the interesting things in the congregation is that when people have been passive aggressive and the pastors haven't reacted, then they say, well, they're uncaring, they're unloving. No, actually, I'm doing the most loving thing I can to you, which is not react to darkness. Because if I react to darkness, I mean, during the whole troubles and stuff, there were people that actually put hands on me in, in different places um, a couple of different times. I was backed into a corner with a guy who just wanted me to punch him so much he could hardly stand. He finally said, it doesn't matter, matter what I do to you. The more I do to you, the more calm you become. He said, you're like Spock. You're emotionless, which is really interesting for me because then that told me what the game was that was being played. There were other instances where not just me, where staff people had people put hands on them, poke them, push them. So what people are trying to do there is get a reaction. What you can't do at that point is react. What you do have to do is circle back to that at some point and say, why did that happen? But if people flee, then you can't ever do that, of course. It's the same with your kid. If your kid you know, gets in the car and drives away and doesn't come back for 10 years, you know, it's very difficult to engage that. Please. Well, you're very kind, but, you know, um, yeah, it's probably more, more Jesus than us. And hopefully, you know, we'll never revisit those sorts of things. But you're young, so you will. Um, I've kind of had my go. You know, I might get an, one more go in my life, but I've, I've had a couple of goes. And so, you know, one of the good things is the Lord always, is the Psalms say, out of narrow places, out of narrow straits into wide places. But you're young enough, and Marcus is young enough, you probably got to come in a time or two, yeah. Um, so, so here's the thing. What, what you can do is, um, this is learned behavior. I mean, this is learned over a number of years. So, you know, it'll come to you. You just sort of stay close to the Eucharist. It comes to you. And people, one of the good things is people who struggle during these times, I mean, people who stuck in, you're all, like, in the spirit of maturity, you're about 20 years past where you should be because you saw too much and experienced too much. But you're still stuck around. You're still here. You still have friends. And that you can even have this conversation it's like just puts you light years ahead in terms of what your spiritual life should be. So, um, you know, we just all kind of have to work at it and see what happens. Please. Right. Yeah. Just control yourself. So let me just kind of just to wrap up with the two things you said, just a couple things. One is, as you're seeking people, um, you can seek people. If you're going to ask that question to people, you probably want to ask it of people who have um, – screwed up, admitted it, and changed course. Um, if you ask, uh, if you just take the analogy, if you ask the wrong person, you're asking a teenager rather than an adult. Teenagers know, one of the good things about teenagers is, despite what it looks like, they know very quickly when they've screwed up. They just can't admit it and change course as easily. So make sure that when you ask for help, you're ask, not asking a teenager, you're actually, actually an adult. But the other thing is, is just and this is very important, People are going to screw up, including your pastors. One of the interesting things is that there was no room in the past couple of years for the pastors to be sinners. 
which is kind of a natural wheat and pietism. If you think somehow that we're better than you are, you are sadly mistaken and always things are going to be screwed up here. Your pastors are sinners. They're going to make mistakes. Um, it's, it's not mistakes. It's not sins that do you in. It's persistent and unrepentant sin that does you in. You really need to make that distinction. Okay, it's really important. Pastors and pastors' wives and pastors' kids are not perfect. You know, we're not perfect. We sin. If you think we're perfect, you break the first commandment because you make me be God and I can never be God to you. I'm not God. I can't be God to you. I'm, you know, I'm a sinner just like you are. It's really important. Where you have to be concerned for me is if I'm persistent and unrepentant sin, that's the same place I'm in concern for you. So that you sin is not, you know, you're going to sin. That's why we're open for business. You know, icky is our demographic. You're icky. I'm icky. That's why we have Lent. Lent is this whole period. Why do we put ashes on you and say, you're dust and to dust you shall return? It's a horribly difficult thing to do and sometimes really good when people take it with a smile because you know that people know that it's going to be okay. We're basically saying you're icky and there's hope. Okay? So just, just kind of remember that. We're kind of all in it together. Well, we're aiming. We're not aiming at perfection. We're aiming at maturity. There's a difference. We're aiming at getting it right more often. You know, you're trying to raise your batting average from 200 to 300, right? Okay, you're, you're trying to hit the fairway, you know, 7 out of 10 times instead of 4 out of 10 times. You score much better if you hit the fairway 7 out of 10 times. You really do. That's what you're trying to do. You got it? So don't kind of look around and say, I wish everybody was perfect. There's nobody here that's perfect, including us. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect anytime soon, you know? Okay, but knowing that, you see how much, how that, ooh, the pressure's off. You're not the smartest guy. You're not the richest guy. Woo, the pressure's off. Don't have to be perfect today. Okay, the pressure doesn't mean I'm going to go out and sin. It means I don't have the pressure of being God, which I'm just a very poor God. I'll just tell you. I'm a very bad God. Okay, I'm just not good at it. So, but fortunately, you know, God works it out so that I can be forgiven. I don't have to be perfect and that I can grow in maturity. He works out the same way for you. If we all were all committed to that, um, you can change the world. If you're all committed to that, you can change the world because... This is what people want even when they know they don't want it. Even when they don't know what they want, this is what they want. They want a place where they can be loved and, and never forgotten. They, people don't want to be alone and unloved. They want to be together and they want to be loved. It's easy. And you love people by being honest with them. You love people. You love your kids by saying, I, don't, I wouldn't lick my fingers and put them into that socket right there. I, wouldn't, I mean, you can learn by it if you, if you want, but they, you know. That's just not, you know, boy, that stove is really hot. I, you know, you can do what you want, but if you stick your hand into the, into the flame, that's, ooh, ah, ee, that's a difficult way to learn, right? So, Anyway, well, so, you know what, this is all about, this should be very hopeful for you, because so, you kind of have a way to move through light. And it's very simple. It's light and darkness. Embrace the light, flee the darkness, but don't, don't leave your friends behind. Bring them into the light, too, and that takes got to pause. you got to be calm. You can't react. It's like any other emergency. You do the best you can. And when you've done your best, you realize you can't control them, or in theological terms, you can't change hearts of the Holy Spirit. That's his job. You just be Christ to other people. Got it? See how easy this is? You want to be committed to that, and you want to stick in. See how easy it is? Oh, it's so easy, isn't it? <laughs> so it's simple. I misspoke. It's simple, but it's not easy. Right? Well, we did one whole verse there. How about that? I mean, that's why I have gaining, because gaining needs to come over and do 12 or 15 verses, and then I just, you know, I'm older, I'm slower, okay, and I can't get as much done. All right, let's pray, and then you're on your way. Lord, remember us in your kingdom, and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks. Um, see you next week.